folks who have never done this, the front of the mask are the things that we gladly let the world see. So this is mine. Um, can you see that? So it's it's loving, yeah. genuine, and vulnerable. So that's the front of my mask. Funny, <clears throat> caring, and hardworking. Yeah, hardworking. I can All see right. that, Ashanti. Oh, yeah. I see, I, <laughs> I see you, man. I see you on social media. I see you on, on podcasts. You know, I see you everywhere. You know, did you even sleep? <laughs> do, do I sleep? That, that's, that's the back of mass. That's the back of mass. That's the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wonder if you sleep. Oh, man. And behind the mask are the things that we normally don't talk about or don't let people see. Well, we have a lot in common, Ashanti. Um, check it out. I have fear of failure as well. <laughs> so we have that in common. Uh, over here, I have uh, the imposter syndrome. It's something that I deal with, you know, on the daily basis. Um, and anxious. I'm very anxious. Yeah, I try and I do my best in staying calm. I meditate and, you know, keep myself relaxed, but anxiety is always there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's what, that's behind the maps. What people don't usually see about me. Welcome to the Taking Off the Mask podcast. My name is Ashanti Branch, and I'm really glad you've joined us. Today's guest is Luis Conseco. Uh, Luis is a domestic violence education and prevention specialist in North County, San Diego. He is uh, a man who understands what it's like to go through tough times. You know, Luis and I talk about not only some of the work that he does in um, domestic violence prevention, but also in growing up, being bullied, you know, learning the language of a new land and trying to figure it out and finding himself hanging with the wrong crowd. And then finally find himself back on the right road to get an education and then to go back and serve others. You know, maybe you're a parent out there and you're dealing with a son who's being bullied. You know, Luis talks about not telling anybody. I know that feeling. Maybe your child is going through stuff they don't know that they can talk to you about. That's why the Million Mask Movement was created. And so today in this Taking Off the Mask podcast, he and I share our mask with each other. And vulnerability is a word that comes up a lot. It's vulnerable if you're being bullied to go and tell somebody, hey, I'm being bullied. You got to worry what they're going to say about you, what they're going to think about you, how they're going to perceive you. And this episode is not really all about bullying, but I just wanted to make sure that if you are a person who has been bullied, just know you're not alone. If you have a child who's experiencing right now, we're going to put a link in the, in the chat to an organization that you can reach out to. But we want to make sure that everybody recognizes that the bully is probably wearing a very strong and tough mask. And we know that um, we experience it all the time. And so what I'm asking for you is if you have not yet made a mask, maybe you can ask your child, maybe ask your friends, ask your community to make a mask. You can do that at 100kmasks.com, 100kmasks.com, and recognize that you're not alone. Uh, we thank you for being on this movement with us. Please share this podcast with somebody who you feel could benefit from these words today. 
two men coming together and taking off the mask. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Taking Off the Mask podcast. Luis, I am so glad to have you on the show today. Uh, how are you today? I'm doing good, Ashanti. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much. Well, you know, maybe I think I think right before we were started recording, I said take a deep breath. Maybe let's just take a deep breath together. Let's do it. Just to kind of... Just to get grounded in the space. Yeah. You know, I, I appreciate I that. Good. And how, how was that? How, no, and I was on a podcast the other day and someone invited me to like, just take that deep breath. And I was like, oh, I normally just jump right in, you know? And I'm like, I'm like, oh, it was so just a different pace to just, just catch your breath, you know? Like, depending on what's happening in your day and your morning and your life. Um, and um, normally we just jump in. I want to first have you introduce yourself. Um, and then, you know, maybe you and I can do like a check-in. So we like the guests to introduce themselves. So just go ahead and introduce yourself to folks. Tell us a little bit about you and then um, we'll jump in. Yes. Thank you, Ashanti. Um, my name is Luis Canseco Garcia. Uh, I'm a domestic violence education and prevention specialist in North County, San Diego. So my role is uh, as an educator is to bring education and awareness about domestic violence, intimate partner violence, teen dating violence is a term I use with the youth, and uh, healthy and respectful manhood with groups of boys. Um, to bring this education to the, to the community, and, and when I say the community, that's everyone. That can be that can be parents, adults, young adults, that can be uh, youth, everyone, as much as uh, uh, as many people we can uh, talk to. That's, that's my role in the agency I work for. I work for a community resource center. That's a nonprofit agency based up in Encinitas, and we serve the North County area in San Diego. Um, you know, I'm really, uh, I'm a preventionist at heart. I really believe that we, the prevention is, 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 is key in taking us to a world uh, free of violence. If we can prevent violence before it happens, I think that's, that's, that's the best. And, you know, one thing that I talk a lot about is uh, embracing that healthy masculinity, because I truly believe that embracing that healthy masculinity is what is what is going to take us to uh, gender equity. Um, uh, yes, and that, that's who I am. Um, born and raised in Oaxaca, Mexico. I know you have visited Oaxaca, Shanti. <laughs> that's where I was uh uh, born and raised, brought to the United States when I was 12, 13 years old and been here ever since. I do go and visit, though. I am going this year. Uh, so I'm excited for that. Yeah. Thank you, Ashanti. Thank you for inviting me to the show. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that because I thank you for a lot that you mentioned. First of all, about the prevention work um, and about Oaxaca. So I guess maybe there's so many things in that layer that. I would love to check in with you and learn more about. Um, and if you're going this year, then maybe maybe I have to meet you there or something. I think that may be a opportunity to to connect on on home turf on your home turf. Um, <laughs> just out of curiosity, are you from the were you from the city, the Oaxaca city, or a, a, any place in particular? No, I'm actually from a village. Oh. So I was born in in, in a village. Uh, the name of the village is Buena Vista. Buena Vista, that's the name of my village, and we pertain to the city of uh, Ocotlan de Morelos. Um, yeah, yeah, it, Ocotlan de Morelos, the, the, the main city that we pertain to, it's not really, it's not that far from uh, the airport. 
of uh, Oaxaca. It's, it's, I want to say, an hour, an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but me, I'm from a village, from a beautiful village, uh, Buenavista, Cotlando, Morelos. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're already in there. We already, we're, you know, I, um, my, my godson, my goddaughter, they live in Teotitlán de Valle. And Tutitlan de Valle is in the area, the area of, I was about to start talking in Spanish, see? It's in the area of Tule, right? By Tule near, you know, I don't know that name of that. On the, in the road between Tule and um, Mitla. So that's oh, okay. where. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, where yeah, definitely, yeah. All right. Well, so yeah, well, yeah. There, there's, there's more to be discussed there because I have a huge uh, uh, heart for um, Oaxaca and um and I'm thinking about the Layudas right now, just right in this moment. I'm thinking oh, about yeah. the Layudas, you know? Yeah, they, they, okay. they're the best. Right, yeah, if you go to Oaxaca, yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, it's not a food show, so I'm going to stop talking about Oaxacan food because I know that, that <laughs> that'll easily take over, right? Um, the culinary yeah. arts of Oaxaca. But oh, we're going to, but, but also, I, I imagine that I was in, a, in downtown Oaxaca this past. Um, uh, what? Well, did I go to downtown? I know I've been there before. There's a museum that's like a museum of masks. It's like a museum of masks. And so since we're today, we're talking about masks. Uh, and I'm about to find those pictures of that museum of masks in Oaxaca. I mean, they have they had all kinds of masks on the wall, really super old school masks um, and some Lucha Libre masks, like all different types of masks they had in this museum. And uh, and I was I was I was in there for probably an hour. Just like, oh my God, look at all these old school masks, right? So um, today we're going to talk about the masks. These, these masks that, that not necessarily that are all hanging on a wall somewhere, but sometimes that are just in plain sight, but no one can see them, you know, these emotional masks. I, I actually have a mask here, right here, this one. This is one of my, uh, my, my favorite masks. Do you know who this character Lucha is? Libre? It's a Lucha Libre. Uh, yeah. So this is um uh, historically this is uh connected to the character Mil Mascaras. So if you look at the eye, it's like an M right there, this M. Uh Mil Mascaras. And Mil Mascaras his his uh claim to kind of wrestling fame was that every time he would like something would be going on in the wrestling world, um he would come out as a different character. So this was his main mask. This is this is Mil Mascaras with the M on the top, right? But, cool, but yeah. anytime he would like, something would be going on where he needed to like disguise himself, he would create a new mask. And this is one of his masks. So Mil Mascaras in Spanish, um, Mil Mascaras is, means a thousand masks. So he was known as the wrestler of all these different masks. And this one is called Tiburon. And it took people a while before they figured out that it was him, but you can see the M in the eyes, the M. That's the M. So all of his masks have an M somewhere in the design representing Mil Mascaras, but you know, most times most people don't figure it out till it's too late. And they already get yeah, yeah. so I don't know. I just mentioned that just in terms of the Lucha Libre, the Oaxaca, but also these masks that we're gonna talk about. So um I'm gonna ask you, do you wanna go first or do you want me to go first sharing your mask? I'm open to whichever. Well, you're the guest. You're, you're the guest, so you get to choose. <laughs> you let me know. You let me know. Uh-uh, no. Um, okay, so, okay. So either I share first you or you first. share first, but it's open. Whatever okay. you prefer is open. I'm open to it. You go first. Okay. All right. 
right. so the way we'll do it is um we'll share the front of the mask and then you'll share the front and then i'll share the back of the mask yeah okay okay sounds good and i'm gonna just fold it back like this so i can just show the one side and um we're i'm gonna try and show it so that people so folks can see it so here's the front of the mask on the front the words i wrote were funny caring and hardworking. And normally I have a serious on there and I still think I'm really serious, but uh, caring is a new one for me. So caring is one that I have been um, like trying to write more because I, I think that is really real for me, but I don't always write it. I didn't write it for many years until I was, I was talking to another man, uh, Dan Doty, and he wrote caring on the front. I'm like, you know what? That's, I try to show people I'm caring, but I never would, I never wrote it which is really interesting. So I've been really engaging in new words on the front. So that's the front of my mask. Funny, <clears throat> caring, and hardworking. Yeah, hardworking. I can All see right. that, Ashanti. Oh, yeah. I see I, <laughs> I see you, man. I see you on social media. I see you on, on podcasts. You know, I see you everywhere. You know, did you even sleep? <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> do, do I sleep? That, that's, that's the back of mask. That's the back of mask. That's the back of <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i wonder if you sleep oh uh, man you know uh, <laughs> all right let me uh, let me go ahead and sh uh, share my front of mask right yeah yes okay. please so this is mine um can you see that so it's it's loving yeah genuine and vulnerable yeah i i think that's uh something that people can see I me mean, and people have told me people have told me that i'm a i'm a, I'm a caring loving person uh, that i'm genuine genuine and that i am vulnerable uh, but you know those things especially vulnerable vulnerability that came not too long ago uh just recently i want to say maybe two years ago when i started practicing vulnerability uh and that is because i read a book and i fell in love with this book and that that, that book right there is what taught me about vulnerability yeah, and it has shaped my life so much, practicing vulnerability. So I encourage everyone, and I encourage the youth because I work with youth, so I'm always encourage, encouraging youth to uh, practice vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah, man, that, that's, you know, okay, I'm, I'm going to write this note here to practice. I'm going to come back to that because I think that's a topic that, what does that mean to practice vulnerability, right? Like, so I, we're, I'm going to come back to that. Let, let's, let's let you and All I right, get through our masks. Good. And I imagine that that's going to take a, a interesting opportunity to to discuss. Maybe that maybe that's what the back is. Maybe the back is that practice in vulnerability, right? Mm -hmm. Depending on how deep you go, you know. So, um, all right, here we go. Now this one is going to be interesting because I, I I wrote it in a different way than I, so. Here's the back. The back says uh, fear of, and I've made three lines there, but. Uh, I put failure on top. It's my messy writing. Uh, and then it says uh, sadness. I don't talk much about the, the things on the back are the things we don't talk much about. I'm, I probably should tell folks what that is. Trauma um, on the bottom. And I think when I think about the back, so just for folks who have never done this, the front of the mask are the things that we gladly let the world see. Those are the characteristics that we gladly let people see. And behind the mask are the things that we normally don't talk about or don't let people see. And so that was my three words, uh, fear of failure with three lines. I'm going to talk about that in a second, sadness and trauma. And I think the reason I wrote these lines, because I was actually going to write like seven lines of like 
representing like all the things I'm afraid of. Like, like I think I'm I think I'm afraid of a lot of things. Actually, now that when I think about it, I was I was making a uh, a post yesterday, and I was like, why don't I share? Why am I so afraid to share like stuff that we're working on that we're doing? Because sometimes I have this worry because I'm kind of managing social media in a lot of ways, which probably I shouldn't be managing the social media. I'm always like think I'm talking about ever forward, right? I'm always talking about, and sometimes it feels like I'm talking about because I'm talking about it on Instagram and then Twitter and then Facebook and then LinkedIn. I'm like I'm always talking about ever forward, but I'm, but it's only like one time here, one time there. But for me, it feels like a lot. So the fear of like people of bragging, the fear, I have a fear, a big fear of bragging, right? I have a big fear of like. Like, uh, man, I think I can't even think of the list right now. They're so rich right now. But just like the fear of like doing too much, right? Like, of uh, uh, yeah, so many areas. So I wrote fear. The fear of failure is one that's really present. I don't talk about. And the other ones, I don't talk about them. And I still am trying to grasp why I'm afraid to post like more times than I post. Like, so anyway, that, those are the things that are coming really real for me in present that that was alive like yesterday. I made a, I wrote this on LinkedIn yesterday of all these fears that have been coming up, and I just said, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm gonna start pushing those fears to the side. I, can, I don't know that I'll get rid of them, but I'm gonna start just taking today to be a little more fearless and just follow my heart. I know the, I know what I'm trying to do. I know the the intent, um, but sometimes I overthink it, and that's uh, what I'm working on. So that's the that's the back of my mask. Well, we have a lot in common, Ashanti. Um, check it out. I have fear of failure as well. <laughs> so we have that in common. Uh, over here, I have uh, the imposter syndrome. It's something that I deal with, you know, on the daily basis. Um, and anxious. I'm very anxious. Yeah, I try and I do my best in staying calm. I meditate and you know keep myself relaxed, but anxiety is always there. Yeah, uh, so yeah, that's that's what that's behind the mask. What people don't usually see about me, uh, like I was saying, people. Yeah, like you were saying, people say this all the time. The front of my mask, loving, genuine, and vulnerable. But uh, yeah, I deal with this stuff on a daily basis. Um, yeah, and people, you know. It's funny that I have anxious because people often say, Luis, but you're always presenting, you're always doing presentations to, to youth, to adults. Uh, sometimes you have small groups of 30 people. Sometimes you have huge groups of like uh, 270 kids and you're not anxious. <laughs> so people tell me that you're not anxious. You're, you always see, you sound so calm when you're presenting. And uh, no, the reality is that before I start talking, before I start presenting, I'm dealing with anxiety. Big time, huge, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just for those out here who may have a, a not a clear definition of anxiety, can can you describe it? Like um, some may not even know what it means, but also for those who who may have different, uh, they see it show up in different ways, and maybe in their own life or in others' life. Would you be willing to just kind of just share like how does anxiety show up? in your life when you talk about those getting ready to present and i think a lot of people are nervous i think being being on stage is like one of the biggest fears of of humans right like public speaking is like one of the top fears of all time right so maybe that's part of the normal part of fear of being on stage but when you talk about the anxiety what does that what does it mean and then maybe how does it look when it shows up in your life 
Yeah, so anxiety, the way it shows up in my life is when I'm a, like I was uh, sharing, when I'm going to present, for example, I feel like I'm not ready. I feel like um, I have nervousness going on through my whole body. Um, I'm, I've been getting better at it. It's something that I'm working at, at it. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll get really nervous. And I think that goes along with uh, the imposter syndrome. You know, uh, I, I think I believe that anxiety comes from the imposter syndrome, which is I, I feel like I'm not smart enough to deliver this presentation or knowledgeable enough or that I'm going to be attacked by some people. So it's, it's, it's kind of something that I dealt with uh, for many years. And, um, you know, I know. So that's, that's how anxiety uh, shows up in my life. I know there's uh, anxiety at a higher level, which is a mental illness, and that is different. That is different. That's I, I don't I don't have that, uh, but I know anxiety as a mental illness. That's something else. Yeah, uh, but not that's not the anxiety I'm talking about. I'm talking about the anxiety, nervousness that happens before you're gonna present, or when you're writing something and you're gonna email it to someone and you're just anxious that oh, is this person gonna like what I'm writing? Is this is this person gonna what what is this person gonna think of me? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how anxiety shows up in my life. And, and like I was saying, it really has to go. It, it really goes with the imposter syndrome, you know, and the imposter syndrome has affected me since whew, since I was a kid. And maybe that, and, and I so I, I I validate that and I acknowledge what I have to work on. And I know the imposter syndrome has a lot to do with uh, me coming to the United States when I was 12 years old. Uh, coming here, not, not, not speaking the language, English. Um, and so I was bullied a lot when I was in middle school because I couldn't speak the language. I was bullied because I, um, I had some pounds on me. <laughs> you know, so people would call me names because I, was, uh, I, I had some uh, pounds on me. And then, yeah, because I couldn't speak the language. And I think that right there is what shut me down. I was afraid to speak up. I was afraid to share things, share ideas. And that just stick, it stick with me throughout my whole school journey, um, through high school and then through college. And yeah, it's, it's always been there. Um, but recently is when I, uh, I started working towards this. I, I, it, it came to, you know, I realized that this was affecting me. And that's when I, I found out what the imposter syndrome was. And that, that was a professor who taught me what the imposter syndrome was. And I'm like, oh, I have that. <laughs> you know, and since that day, I started working on getting better. Yeah. Yeah. Man, man, thank you for, for that. I, I appreciate you sharing about being bullied. You know, a lot of middle schoolers, imagine middle school today, right? Like right now, like for most schools around the country, right? A lot of schools. I don't know the percentage of schools that are doing the work from home and doing work from at school. But I'm like, imagine like that season of your life. And I know for me, I was bullied in middle school too. And I, and I spoke English and, uh, and, and I think that deep down, I think the common part that we spoke about, and maybe lots of reasons that it happened for, for lots of people around the country and around the world. Like I didn't speak up for myself either. Right. I just kept it to myself. I didn't, I, and I, and I'd be curious, you know, if you're willing to talk more about it, like 
did you how long did you how long did it go on before you said something how long for me it was like maybe three months and i didn't say anything my mom found out on accident like because i have been keeping this lie up pretty good and then the lie broke and i was like oh my god like just you know it was really like i come home hungry every day like a freaking wolf like a like a wolf coming in making three sandwiches and she was like why is the bread disappearing i'm like i don't know who's eating all the bread i mean i was coming home hungry because I was not only being bullied, but it was taking my money, you know, taking the, the guy was taking my lunch money. And I remember yeah. just like not wanting to tell anybody, feeling embarrassed, feeling ashamed, feeling all the things you could feel that, you know, 11, 12 years old, like feeling like you're supposed to be tough, but you don't feel so tough and feeling like you're supposed to be able to protect yourself, but not really knowing how. And all those layers that showed up in my life. And I remember like my, literally I was one day. Usually I would make my sandwiches before my mom got home. One day she came home early and I was like, I had three sandwiches. <laughs> it was like my lunch and my snack together. I was like, I'm so hungry. And she was like, what is wrong with you? Like, why are you, that's where all the bread is going. Uh, well, I didn't have lunch today. And then she was getting on my, it was, it was like that. I was, we were having this argument because she was mad about the bread. And I'm like, why didn't I have lunch today? And then she was like, what do you mean you didn't have lunch? I gave you lunch money. And then the, that's when the lie started falling apart. I'm like, God. Um, and then that's what happened. So she found out. She's like, I'm coming up to that school tomorrow. I'm like, no, you're not. I'll, I'll take care of it. And that was when I finally told some people, you know. But it was like, because I, I knew that if she came up to the school, she was going to make it worse, you know. Last thing you want to do is be a kid who's getting bullied and have your mom come up and try and defend you. That is a recipe for disaster, you know. Um, but yeah, that, that was, thank you for sharing that about that in that situation in your life. Um, I guess, so the question I guess I was asking around it is how long did you, how long did it go before you said something or did you say something? <clears throat> yeah. Thank you. Shanti. Um, no, I never said anything. Uh, so I was in middle school. I was bullied because I was overweight and because I couldn't speak the language. Right. And so what happened is I, um, I didn't tell anybody and people would call me names, right? Because of my weight. And it, and I, I, I myself would even laugh at it, right? Because I would make, I, would, I, I didn't want them to know that I was getting hurt inside. When I was, I was suffering inside, right? When somebody calls you a name, you know, name calling, you know, that, that hurt. But I was, I would laugh. I would laugh along with them. And uh, so I didn't tell anyone. And so what happened is, with the weight thing, I went on this crazy diet. <laughs> I didn't know about diets. I didn't know about how, how to lose weight at that age. So I went on this uh, starving season pretty much where, where I didn't eat. I would just eat cereal like in the morning and, and at night. And I lost a lot of weight. I lost a lot of weight. And uh, it was a very unhealthy thing to do. But I did that because I wanted to lose that weight, right? Because I didn't want my peers to be calling me names anymore. And 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 with the with the bullying of uh, not being able to speak English, that's when um I became a, a very rebellious kid. I start I started rebelling. I started getting into trouble. Um, and I always tell this to my youth that I mentor. You know that uh so because of so much bullying happening. I wanted to seek respect from my peers, right? So I started to get in trouble. I started to get in, in, in fights. I started to ditch school because I wanted to feel like belong. Like I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be respected. So I would do things, re reckless things. 
so it could gain me respect. That's what I would think. That's what I was thinking at that age. And so I, I yeah, I became a, a struggling kid through uh, after uh, middle school and into high school. I was a struggling kid. Uh, you know, I was out in the streets getting into trouble. I was getting in trouble in school, um, got arrested a few times and, and all because, you know, I wanted to feel respected. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and I think, I think that same experience of getting into trouble and having friends that would do the same things that I was doing, um, I started to see how, how much inequality and injustice was in my, in, in my neighborhood here in Vista. So Vista back then, so I live in Vista. Vista back then, it was a barrio, you know, straight out barrio. And so it was really easy for any kid to, to uh, you know, to hang out with the, with the I don't want to say wrong people, but, but you know, with, with folks that are probably not doing the right thing, right? Um, and and uh, so hanging out with these groups of, uh, of, uh, of boys, um, I started to realize how much inequality there was in my in my neighborhood, and I think that's when I started my thinking about social justice. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And was that when that social justice lens came? What was the? Do you remember the moment? Do you remember the moment where you were like in the middle of <laughs> of doing something, and you were like, "What are you doing?" Like, you know, like. And you stopped yourself or was it like after something had happened and you're like, oh, I better get my act together. Do you remember when the moment of like awakening came for you? Yeah. So my friends started to get arrested. They started to get arrested. They were, uh, they were in jail. Uh, there was constant fights in the, in my high school. And back then I'm talking about 2004, 2005, there was a lot of fights between Mexicans and black folks. A lot of that. Th- that was something that would happen like every other week, you know? And so I started to question things. Like, wh- why is this happening? Like, 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 we are all kids. Like, <laughs> why are we fighting each other? Why are my friends getting arrested? Why is the school not doing much for my friends? Why, why does my school do- doesn't have plenty of resources? Um, and I always tell my youth that when I was in high school, like nobody talked to me about college. Like nobody came to me and told me, Luis, you should apply for college or you should go to college or, 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 or just even the question of Luis, do you want to go to college? Or what do you see yourself doing in, in, in five years, 10 years? Like nobody asked me those questions. Right. And, and, uh, yeah, it, 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 it. Yeah, and my parents, I don't blame my parents. You know, my parents, uh, so we are the first generations, uh, my brothers and I. Uh, my parents, you know, they came to the United States. They, you know, since day one, they're always working, right? They're always uh, going to work and and do, doing everything they can, they can to pro- uh, so they could provide for us, right? Um, yeah, but yeah, that, 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 that happened to me, that experience. Um. Mm-hmm. Man, thank. 
Yeah, yeah I, I was just taking it in, brother. I appreciate this. And I think you said a lot of things that 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 makes me, you know, wonder about not only Vista, but about how Oakland is, right? Like, it's possible to grow up in Oakland. That's where I grew up, where if you don't, if you're not in the right classes, you don't ask for the right classes, you just get shoved in certain classes based on your previous grades and your previous classes. You could be on a track that's not going to get you ready for advanced learning or whatever, even if you have the capacity or the, in the ability. And so like for no one ever asking you, Hey, what, what do you, th what's your thoughts about the future? What are your thoughts about your goals is one of those moments. And if you were the kind of student at, at some point you said where you were like, school wasn't your thing, or maybe you, maybe, maybe you did good in school, but no one, still no one ever asked you, but you were hanging around with the crowd that you felt was not leading you towards a positive, you know, future then it's easy to be like, well, he's that kind of kid. So therefore, let's just not waste time with him, right? And I think that, you know, when I was a teacher, you were the kind of student who I would have drove you nuts, right? Because like in my class, everyone's going to give their best. Now, if you, don't, yeah. if you don't pass, I can't control that necessarily. I'll do my best to help you pass, but you got to do the work. But if you were the kind of kid who was like smart, but you were acting like you weren't smart, first you're probably going to get recruited into Ever Forward. So I'm going to be like, dude, what are you doing on Thursdays at lunch? And you'd be like, hang out with my friends. What are you talking about? And I'll be like, come to my class at lunch. And you're like, I ain't coming to your class at lunchtime. What are you talking about? I got, I got people to hang out with. And I would ask you every week. Like I would be like, I mean, probably if you're in my class, I would ask you every day, dude, when you come in Ever Forward, when you come in Ever Forward. And sometimes they'd be like, okay, stop, stop asking me. Okay, right? Because we had lunch. I said, look, <laughs> I'm bribing you with food, right? But like, I never told students who came never forward, you have to go to college. I wanted them deep down. My, my intuition was that they all could go. They all could be successful if they went, that college could have a big outcome for them positively. But what I also knew is that if you don't even like high school, how dare I try and get you to do some extra school where you got to pay for it? You know what I'm saying? Like, so how about I just like make you see that high school can be fun, which is what we try to do in Ever forward. And then from there, just plant seeds of like opportunities in the future. And that's how it happened. So when we would come down to LA, when you mentioned Vista, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of what freeway we passed. I remember passing through Vista before, but I don't know where it was at. I know, but I remember we would take students on these college tours because and even kids who were like, I ain't going to college. Why am I going on a college tour? I said, cause it's fun. <laughs> I don't know. It's a vacation. It's, it's a, you know, it's time away from, from the Oakland. And when they got to go to these college campuses, it was never in my, my, my subconscious hope was that they would be like, oh my goodness, I want to I go to something like this, right? At, that was my subconscious hope. On the surface, it was like, your responsibility is to be here to learn about what's outside of your community. So you just change the narrative, right? Because if I come here saying, I want all of you to come to a place like this, imagine teenagers who need to rebel that's the first way to tell them what they need to do is the first thing to find out what they're not going to do. Right. And I think that's what we tried to do. So I'm glad that you spoke to that. No one asked you and, and you, you went to college and, and I see your, your, your shawl on the back. You, you graduated from college, right? Yeah. So what was it? What was it that, so I think that the two things I want, I'm really curious about is, um, and, and usually I'm not asking questions. Usually in this, in this podcast, I don't usually ask questions, but I'm, I'm really, hoping that what you're going to be able to do is inspire not only the young people you already work with, but other young people around the country who are in that phase where they're hanging with people they know that are not leading them to positive outcomes. They're feeling like they're struggling. They feel like they want more. 
and there's something that they need to shift. They need to like imagine that feeling of having to walk away from people you call your friends, whether they are operating as friends or not in your life, but people who you call your friends and to say, I need to make some shifts. And some of those shifts have to happen fast. And some of those shifts may happen gradually over time. So just for you, like how, how did, how did you make that shift from hanging with the crowd that was not leading you towards where you are today and then making the shift to being on the road you are now? Yeah. Um, on this one, I do, I would say that it was, uh, my parents because, uh, you know, which I'm truly grateful for because even though I was that struggling kid and I would get in trouble every so often, my parents, they, they, they were there for me and they would listen to me and they would try to, they would do their best for me to stop doing what I was doing and, and get back in track. Right. So I think it was the, it definitely was my parents' belief in me that that I kind of realized, you know, I need to start doing what I'm doing and I need to start seeing other options that are going to allow me to take the path to a better future. Um, and, and I think that's what it was, you know, uh, because like I was saying, I was uh, that struggling kid. I was always getting in trouble. And, and, um, I even remember one time, one of my teachers took me out of class, uh, because I had really red eyes and that is because I went to bed really late the night before. And she took me out of class telling me to stop doing drugs. And I was a struggling kid, but I, I, I didn't do drugs, <laughs> you know, and she was telling me she was really upset that I was doing drugs. And I'm there telling her, I, I'm, I'm not drugged. I don't, I don't do drugs. Uh, you know, but she, she thought that I was doing drugs, right? And, and so nobody's telling you about college. Nobody's telling you about you can do better, but people are there telling you to stop doing drugs. It, it really affects you, right? Uh, but yeah, uh, seeing all these injustices and, um, you know, I used to live in this apartment complex and while I was there, there was like three shootings. Uh, I remember one day waking up the next morning going to high school and while I was walking on the sidewalk, there was still a, a lot of blood from the shooting that had happened the night before. So all of this stuff, um, I started questioning it. And so that's what took me to college with my parents, with the belief in my parents. My parents really, you know, they, they really cared for me and they really believed that I, I could do better. And so I, I yeah, I... I took on that, and and so I went to college, thinking about these injustices that I had experienced and that my neighborhood was was experiencing. And when I first went into college, I didn't know what I was gonna study. Like I just went in there and and, and took some math classes, some science classes, and then eventually that's when I took my first sociology class. And that sociology class, the social science class, uh, that's. That class right there spoke to my experiences, and that's when I got hooked with the sociology, criminology, justice studies. Yeah, and that's that's where uh, that's what took me to uh, uh, getting my my bachelor's degree, and then eventually my master's degree in sociology. Uh, and, and that's who, that's what I'm about: uh, social justice. You know, making things better. Um, and yes, of course, it has to do with my experiences growing up. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, thank you, man. You know, um, as we just get ready to wrap it up, I guess the last thing I would like to ask you or just to, to prompt as part of the conversation is, so when you're working with youth, right, who you see are struggling, right? Like, let's say you're in a smaller group and or it may, let's say COVID is very different, right? Because it's sometimes hard to pull somebody aside and have that little one-on-one interaction. But how do you, what, how do you help inspire them or what, what, what drives you to continue to do the work with, with young people? Because I think that, you know, um, you know, as much as we tell them they're, they're, they're their future, sometimes they don't hear it or they don't maybe believe it. Right. But what was it, what, what do you do? Maybe like, I mean, it's a kind of interesting question I'm trying to ask, but like, what is it that inspires you? But definitely you see a young person who's resistant, right? Cause the ones who hear it and turn, you know, help make a turn is easy. Right. But the ones who are like, you see something special in them, like you, how do you, like, what, what is the message you say to them to help them to like, maybe want to listen a little bit more, right? To lean in a little bit more. <clears throat> I think uh, what, uh, what makes me really mentor the youth is because I was mentored by my professors and the way they believed in me you know, these people, they're, they're still my mentors. They believed in me before I believed in myself, you know? And so that right there is what uh, now is, is, I feel like it's my responsibility to do the same, right, with the youth I mentor. So so that's one thing. And then the other thing is, is I'm, I'm like I was saying, my front of the mask, uh, vulnerability. I practice vulnerability, and I'm really open to the youth. And I always tell them why I'm there. Why do why why am I here? Why am I talking to you? And I always share my stories with them as well, and and, and with the hope of uh, building trust. Uh, so let's build trust yeah. between uh, you and I, and then you know uh, from there, once we build trust, th- you know things get really things get better. <laughs> you know, once we build trust, yeah. then he allows me, he starts being open with me. And then, you know, he starts telling me what his struggle is or her struggle is, you know, and I think that's really important to us as mentors to really find out what the, the, the kid is struggling with, you know, because if we know you're, what you're struggling with, we can help you, right? But if you don't tell me what, what you're struggling with, I cannot help you. Um, yeah, so I think I think primary is building that trust. Once we build a, build trust, then we create that circle of uh, of uh, trust. Yeah. How do you how do you how do you feel the mask um, activity that you just did with me just here? Um, how do you feel that this can serve in that way? Like, you know, when we normally do it, it's anonymous. Like we normally don't ask people to read their masks, right? But you and I were talking about this potential challenge, right? Where you know. Uh, there's a challenge from our some friends from a call to men, right? If you don't know a call to men, they do a lot of work around um, trying to eliminate um, violence against against women, calling men out to be um, advocates and not perpetuators of violence. And whether it's violence by action or by silence, like it's that idea of being fully integrated to support this movement. Um, and so there's they have a, there's a, a challenge from their new book, right? It's called. Um, the I love you challenge, right? And I was so juiced, like you know, you challenged me, and I gotta do, I gotta give, a, I'm gonna give a response today. You know, I'm gonna do it today. Um, 
And I think that in Ever Forward, I think that's something we really, you know, whenever for first started, you know, at the end of the meetings, we would say, hey, give up the hugs, right? And young, some young men came in, they're like, what? What's going on here, right? And I think because sometimes they've been told messages that a hug means uh, it has to be only with an intimate, and it's also, it means that you're not manly if, if it's a man, right? And I think that they had such a twisted idea of what it means to connect in a heartfelt way that any type of connection that wasn't just let me punch you or let me make fun of you, like those are the ways that I can tell you that I care. And they only had like one one language, right? Like insult you, <laughs> yeah, but, oh, I'm just playing, I'm just playing, you know? Or I'll punch you, right? Oh, what's up? And you punch somebody like, oh, that's just my way of showing him I care, right? It was all these rules that were like, and so I think that when we talked about that with this I Love You Challenge, um, it's telling a man or someone, I mean, I think in this context is about men, call to men, is to be able to say I love you in a really heartfelt way. And so, uh, you know, we were talking about using the Million Mask Movement as a, a challenge. Like, what would it be like to create a challenge that we ask people to share their mask, right? We've, we've never done it. We've never done it like that. But what do you notice for the young young people you work with around uh, whether this activity could benefit them or or how it could support them to recognize that this, that the, what we're seeing from the outside, that there's so much more going on on the inside. Yeah, I'm going to start using this activity in my workshops. <laughs> um, but I think it's going to help the youth. Or it's helping the youth a lot in realizing that everybody's dealing with something. Everyone's struggling with something. <laughs> I think that's the... That's one of the huge takeaways from doing this activity is that, you know, everybody's hiding something. Honestly. Yeah. Yep. That's that's Man. the thing. And 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 it's and it's so you know, and we need to really take that in, acknowledge, and and you know, I think that is gonna allow us to be more empathetic with people. It creates empathy. You know, me knowing that you're dealing with something yeah. and it, it, that's gonna create empathy, right? Um, yeah, and vice versa. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, is there what, what what do before we have you leave? Like, is there any last message you want to say to the young people out there, to the you know the people in the world that you would a message you want to leave, and also just let us know how people can find you, follow you, or some projects you're working on that you want people to know about. This is your chance to just kind of let folks know what's a message to the to the world yeah so one thing i want to say to everyone is practice vulnerability <laughs> uh, practice being open and being yourself with people uh, like that one uh challenge that we were just talking about the dare to love is it's about telling men in your life i love you right and because we men we don't use that word as much especially with the other men um you know, I was asking my brother that day, hey, you, you love me, right? But you never, you have never told me I love you. My parent, my my dad has never told me I love you, right? And that's and that's something that I always uh, talk about when I'm doing my uh, uh, workshops with parents. I ask the dads, do you love your son? They say yes. And then, and then I ask them, when was the last time you said I love you to them? And they all stay quiet, right? So let's practice vulnerability. Let's really show and... Um, share our feelings with people, 
what we truly feel. I think that's, you know, that's just going to create a, a, a better, safer world for everyone. <laughs> and yes, uh, you can find me yeah. on Instagram. Uh, my name is Luis Canseco. Uh, you know, I, um, I'm recently starting to post more, more awareness on my Instagram. So, you know, please feel free to uh, follow me or send me a message. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Ashanti. Right thank on. you for this. Well, Luz, thank you, man. Thank you for being a part of this and being on on the show today. And, you know, I'm hoping that over this next, you know, several months in summer, that as you, however we can support the work you're doing, that you will let us know. And hopefully we stay connected um, in the, the different collaborations that we're a part of. And uh, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for inviting me, Shanti. Thank you. Thank you and for, for any of you out yeah, thank you. Well, I appreciate it, man. I probably, sorry to cut you off. I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, I just want to say I, I'm really thankful for you being willing to be a part. And anytime we're in a conversation with men who are willing to take off the mask a little bit, it makes it easier for other men and young men to do the same. And I think when you talk about practice vulnerability, uh, I'm going to be emailing you to find out. Tell, tell me, tell me more about that. What that looks like in the practice of it, right? I think those are the places that uh, I think a lot of our young men need to know and. Uh, this summer in our social emotional leadership academy, maybe you can come in, do do an experience with them about how it was it look like to practice it, right? Like to, to not only understand the definition of it, but to like put it into action. So, uh, and I think it may be hard. I don't know. I mean, it sounds kind of hard <laughs> for people who don't normally do it, right? Yeah. So thank yes, you. Yes, that's right. Well, if you haven't you, been a part of the Million Mask movement, we invite you to do that. You can go to 100kmasks.com, 100, the letter K, masks.com, and make your own mask. And we hope that uh, it will inspire you to having deeper conversations with friends, family, community, people you work with, because um, we do need that in the world. So I really appreciate you, Luis, and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you, Ashanti. If what you heard today you enjoyed, if you've listened to this and you found something inspiring, please like and subscribe to this podcast. That's the best way for someone to uh, find this podcast, maybe like you did. Um, please tell someone about it. If you know, listen to some of our previous episodes, and if one of them rings out to you, please share it with somebody you know. Uh, we also invite people to join us in a face-to-face where they come together with another person to make a mask and talk about that mask together. There's short conversations, about 20, 30 minutes. So if that's something that's interesting to you, please uh, send us a message, send us a, in the comments below, let us know that you're interested in that. And we look forward to you joining the movement of the Million Mask Movement. And check out our new shirt. I don't know if you, how you can, if you can see it, but this is our new shirt, the Million Mask Movement. And so uh, we'll have these soon available, uh, but we look forward to you being a part of the movement and supporting our work. Uh, please consider supporting the work that we do in Ever Forward and in the work uh, that we do in the Million Mask Movement to let people around the world realize that they're not alone. Thank you.